it's literally to be a world conference that touches all parts of the world. But this uh, coming year, not uh, 2018, but 2019, we're going to host it in Orlando. So we'll be the host of the world conference. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Okay, so uh, I know that people like to make plans well in advance uh, for your summer vacations, your plans and things like that. So we're giving you over a year, okay, <laughs> over a year to plan for it and also to even think about going to Disney World. It's right there in Orlando, right? Yeah, we're not promoting. We get no proceeds from that. But I'm, saying, but I'm saying it's an opportunity, okay? And so everybody, good morning to you. Um, happy Memorial Day um, to you. Uh, I know it's not today, but happy Memorial Day weekend. And for those of you who've had uh, family members, uh, loved ones, or friends who've served in the military, um, God bless you. And um, also, let's make sure to honor those who have um, been affected by falling in battle in defense of uh, those who are uh, free and safe today. So anyway, my name is Rollin, and I'm the lead pastor here, and it's uh, good to be with you today. I know there's also a marathon going on today, so I'm glad that you were able to push past that if you had to get past the traffic there. It's always a challenge. I love uh, marathon weekends. Um, I often have to, like, because my streets are cut off, like actually be a part of the race and then bob and weave to get to church, and then we get through. <laughs> but today I drove, so it was good. I was uh, well prepared. Um, so what we're doing today is um, we're actually going to finish uh, the Rebuilding the Altars. It's a sermon series that we've been doing to really uh, sort of talk about how we can, as the people of God, build a life of worship to him. And whenever we think about worship, often we relegate it uh, just to the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, as we just did, and we'll also end with this uh, morning. Uh, but it's much more than that. When you think about worship and the worship that God intends for his people, it's a life of devotion. It's a life of service. It's really a life where you're saying, I'm fully set apart to you, and I want you to work in my heart and use me in any way you want to because you're my love, you're my king, you're my God, right? And so as we talk about rebuilding the altars in our lives, what we're doing is we're really trying to uh, sort of establish in our heart of hearts and reflect on the fact of whether or not we are indeed living a life of consecration to God. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to finish this um, particular series by touching in the book of Ezra, which is what we've been going through, but then also going into one of the Psalms. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time, going into one of the Psalms, because before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, there was a temple that King David had started and established and where worship was going on as it should, as prescribed by God. And what did it look like there in that um, sense, in that context? And then we'll obviously finish with the word of Jesus, who's our perfect example for worship to the Father as we worship through his life. So today, in the last part of the message of rebuilding the altars, we're going to talk about three things. Number one, um, elements of worship. Uh, number two, cultivating a heart of worship. And then finally, number three, the results of living a life of worship. I'll repeat that, elements of worship. Number two, cultivating a heart of worship. And then finally, the results of living a life of worship. Okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us today. 
God, we thank you for, uh, God, your great grace that's been extended towards us in Christ. God, we thank you that we are given the ability to be set free and to really serve you, um, not just as we think you ought to be served, but as you are. You give us prescriptions through your word of things that please you and ways that we can be devoted to you and express that devotion to you. God, we pray that we would uh, wrap our hearts and our minds around it as we study your word today and that we'd um, um, just leave full of the joy and hope and life of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you are um, reading your Bible today, we're going to start with elements of worship. And the last place that we ended with uh, last week was the introduction of a man named Ezra. And as Ezra was the namesake of the book that we've been reading through in the Old Testament, he came as a teacher of the law. He came to teach the word of God to the Israelites so that they might, in fact, build a life of worship in their house. But what we're going to um, focus on, and we don't have time to read this particular portion, today, but if you would write down Ezra 6, 6 through 12, and then Ezra 7, 7 through 28. These were the last two portions of uh, worship where um, the kings at the time when Israel was not in charge of necessarily their own destiny, but they were depending on God and they were being ruled by uh, pagan kings. It said that uh, during these times, there was a king named Darius or Darius, as some people call him. People often think of Darius Rucker, but, like the, um, but not only that, but also after him, um, King Artaxerxes. And these kings were those who helped finish the building of the temple. They were those who helped finish the rebuilding of altars of worship to God because they sent letters to the nations where the Israelites found themselves. And they said, hey, from my treasury, I'm going to help you build these altars of worship and this temple of worship. And I'm going to instruct the people who are there to continually give to the worship that's going on, offerings and sacrifices and all types of metaphors. Um, um, precious metals to be used in the temple for the offering of the sacrifices. And so Cole and I actually came this past week from a training um, that we had a ministry training in North Carolina, and I was so surprised to see how closely they talked about the things of worship and the things that were reflected in this Ezra chapter. When you think about elements of worship, they basically broke it down into th three things. They talked about encounter, formation, and mission that whenever you're worshiping God, these are the things that should come out of you. There should be an encounter with God, right? That we don't just grow in information towards God, but we should actually encounter him in a real and living way because he's a real and living God. Is that not the truth? Even when you're born again, he comes to make you a new man or a new woman by the Holy Spirit, and that's an encounter with the living God. It's not just you growing in head knowledge, but it's him transforming you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Encounter. Every time, even as Cole was just talking about a moment ago, that we worship God, we're worshiping him so that he might sit enthroned upon the praises of his people, and we might interact with him. Not only should we talk to him, but how about this? He talks back to us, right? He encourages us. He strengthens our heart. He heals us. He, he builds us up. He extends his grace towards us, and that's encounter. Whenever we think about encounter from this Ezra portion of the um, chapter, it was literally what the priests and Levites who returned with Ezra they returned with Ezra, the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants. They helped facilitate encounters with God in the preparation of the sacrifices for worship. 
They were there appointed by God to say, my people need to meet with their father, right? It's not just one thing that he births you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to father you. And he says that the temple servants, the messengers, the gatekeepers, the singers, they were all appointed to help facilitate those encounters. That was the point of it. And even as we are the people of God and a priesthood of believers in this present generation, whenever we serve God in any manner, what we're doing is we're helping to establish or facilitate encounters with God. If you're a community group leader even, and you're spreading the word and you have moments of prayer, what you're doing is hopefully facilitating encounters with God. That we wouldn't just talk about God, but that we would relate to him as he is. That's what the gatekeepers, Ezra, t- <clears throat> the, uh, the temple servants, the singers, and the musicians did. But there was also formation, and primarily this was Ezra's job. Formation, and this is what, where Ezra, as a teacher of the law and word of God, helped facilitate. We all know that we are, um, we are predestined as Christians to do what? To be conformed into the image of Jesus. We're to be made like him. And what does that? It's the Word of God. Jesus said to the Father, he prayed and he was talking to the Father, God sanctified them by your truth, which means set them apart to yourself by your truth. Your Word is truth. And so whenever, whenever Ezra was setting forth the Word of God and the law of God to the Israelites who were rebuilding these altars in Jerusalem, he was focusing on the issue of formation in their lives formation as an act of worship, formation so that they would look like God in the end. This is what the Word of God does for us and what Ezra focused on. It was a part of worship. And then finally, mission. Mission. This is what King Darius and Artaxerxes represented as those influenced by the one true Lord of heaven and earth. Even though they were pagan kings in the land, God had so moved on their heart and God had so affected them by the word of God that they were coming and participating in the worship of God, the worship of the God of heaven and earth. This is the mission of the church of Jesus Christ today, right? Not that we would alone worship God, but that we would be on mission with him to see disciples made of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he himself has commanded us. These are all elements of worship, and even in the Old Testament, you see it represented with the kings, Darius and Artaxerxes, that as the word of God went forth, mission was being accomplished in the nations, even outside of Israel, so that worship was increasing in that place. So the question is, is not necessarily whether or not we know the elements of worship, but how do we cultivate? How do we cultivate a heart of worship? What was the original design that God gave us whenever he was setting up the temple with gatekeepers and singers, with those who were Levites taking care of the sacred things in the temple? And there was a particular psalm, Psalm 84, which was basically highlighted or written by a group of people known as the sons of Korah. 
How many of you have actually read through all of the Psalms before? Anybody like go through all of them before, okay? And you see that they're written by different authors. Some of them are, have uh, no author that they are naming as the source. Some of them are um, being, well, the majority of them are being written by King David, right? A man after God's own heart who would do everything that God intended for him to do. And in fact, he was not only a psalmist, but he was actually a warrior. He was one who helped extend the kingdom so that worship was they were on mission and extending worship throughout the land. But the sons of Korah were specifically Levites who were part of the group that went back with Ezra. They were the descendants of those who went back with Ezra. The Korah, um, the sons of Korah were Levites who would have been like gatekeepers and singers and the temple musicians at the time. You might have heard of Psalms being written by a man named Asaph. Has anybody seen that before? Okay, sons of Korah or Asaph, or another one being written by Haman. Anybody seen that before? Okay, all of these were Levites who had a particular function within the worship at the temple to be able to offer worship to God within that. And this particular psalm was written by one of the, um, a group of the sons of Korah. So it's like the worship team getting together and collectively writing a song by the Spirit of God that would actually talk about not only God and his holiness, but how to worship him and cultivate a heart of worship as you want to give yourself to him. And let's read Psalm 84 together as they talk about not just the elements of worship that we reference, but how to cultivate a heart of worship. Starting in verse 1, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, is your dwelling place, the place where you meet, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah which means pause and think about that. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, which was Jerusalem, the city of God, where the temple was and where worship took place. He says, as they go through the valley of Baca, and in the Hebrew, the word Baca means weeping. As they go through the place of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a, sure, um, is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who's walk, who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And so some of you have probably already uh, had a trigger hearing the words of this psalm. There was an older song, right? You remember that old song? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Right? Do you remember this one? They are ever praising you. Oh, no? 
Okay, okay, well, I'm getting old. All right, that's fine. All right. So it's like, listen, they took it directly, directly from this psalm. It was directly from this song. And don't we love singing songs nowadays that are biblically based? And don't just talk about like sort of frivolous emotions or like woo-woo. See what I mean? It's like, God, I'm just crying with you. It's like, well, okay, teach me some theology through my songs, right? Teach me who God is and how to approach him and how to worship him, right? This is what that song did. And so it teaches us how to cultivate that heart. Well, what does it talk about? I think there's seven things that it talks about in terms of helping us to, on a daily basis, cultivate worship in our, heart, um, in our hearts. The first things were reflected, so I'll, I'll move past them in the King Darius and King Artaxerxes. The first thing that you could do, or the, um, I'm sorry, the gatekeepers and the temple musicians, the first thing that you could do is serve, right? That whenever you talk about cultivating a heart of worship, you are set apart to God whenever you throw your lot into the ring, right? Whenever you're serving, something is in you that's rising up that says, God, I'm about your business. I'm about your purposes. I want to contribute to that, and I want to actually build my life as an altar of worship, right? So when we serve, that's what the temple musicians, the singers, the gatekeepers did. When we serve, that's cultivating worship in our hearts. But also, what did King Darius and Artaxerxes did? Do They sowed, right? They sowed from their own treasury into the building of the temple, into the worship and the offerings that were given for the house of God. They sowed. That's the second thing. I won't belabor that point. But when we move past those two things that were clearly represented in Ezra, we also see in verses 1 and 2 that they sang. To develop a heart of worship in your life, you need to learn to open your mouth. You need to learn to sing, not just go to a concert, which is Christian. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's what people treat worship settings in the church a lot like nowadays, right? It's like, ooh, don't they sound good? Isn't that peaceful? Didn't that minister to my soul? But whenever you look at the psalm to cultivate a heart of worship, you need to sing. You need to open your mouth. You need to tell God what you think about him, what things are true, what things are right, what things are holy. You need to participate in the declaration of God's holiness and love towards you. The Psalms were literally songs that declared the reality, character, disposition, power, and person of God. When sung over and over, these truths find a way into our hearts. Is that not true? How many of us sing our favorite songs that we listen to on the radio and it affects your mood? Anybody realize that? How many people have had, been at the gym and did not realize hearing songs that were coming into you and you were literally feeding on it and you repeat them not even knowing what they're saying? I have to apologize all the time. Because words that come off of my mouth, I'm like, whoa, 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 what's that? <laughs> all I thought I was ingesting was the beat. And then all of a sudden I start singing the things that were, they were singing, and I'm like, whoa, the whole unholy, unclean. And they're like, Pastor Ronald, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> I like the beat, but not the content, <laughs> right? And so in the same way, how about when we're worshiping God? The psalmist is saying, sing praises to him, right? 
Let's read that again, verses 1 and 2. That's what he's talking about. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and the flesh, they sing for joy. Sing for joy to the living God. And if you want to cultivate a heart of worship, some of you will receive the breakthrough in your emotional state, in your mental state, and the soul that you have whenever you begin to sing and actually see God become large in your mind and heart rather than your feelings or your circumstances. You'll be declaring things over and over again that are true about God. It is a participatory act. Saying, God, this is an act of faith to say, regardless of what I see or feel around me, this is what's true about you. That's what singing does. Don't take it for granted. Don't just say, they sang. You need to sing. I need to sing. And it does not matter how you sound. Nobody's listening to you. You hear me? That's why we have microphones up there. Okay, they're listening. The, the good stuff is coming from the front, and then we all get to just get in the tailwind. Okay, that's part of like the congregation. Everybody say amen to that. Okay, I know my gifts, and that's not it, but I still sing. I still sing to cultivate my heart of worship, right? That's the third thing. But number four, what else is he telling us? We need to sit. We need to sit. We're so hurried and harried in our present culture, right? Going from work assignment to work assignment. Anybody ever feel harried? Yeah, busy, just pulled here, there, and everywhere, right? But if you're going to cultivate a heart of worship, you need to slow down and sit. Just sit before the Lord. That's what King David did in the temple, and there he got the promises of the generations that would come from him, even leading to the Messiah, King Jesus himself what we see in verse 3, right? Verse 3, it says, even the sparrow finds a home and they'll swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Like the swallow, we need to find a place to sit, feed, and have the excitement, vitality, and expectation of your youth renewed continually at the altar of God, right? Isn't that what he says? Even youths grow tired and weary, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Why? Because they've slowed down enough in the presence of God to sit like the swallow and just be with him. That's what I love about my dad. He, 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 what, he, you know, he talks, well, he can get on his soapbox, but like he doesn't like always talk much, but he's like, listen, I just like being with you. You ever have family members like that? You don't talk much, but you just you're, the fact that you're in their company, right? The fact that you're in their company, it just does something for your soul and changes you. That's what God's saying about himself. He's like, be with me, sit like the swallow, and I'll cultivate that heart of worship within you. And that leads directly to the next thing, number five, to strengthen. Strength, these are all S's. To strengthen you. To cultivate a heart of worship, when you sit, it strengthens you. Verses 4 through 7, he says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Or, in the NIV, he says this. I like how he says it in the NIV. He says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they're ever praising you. What does that mean? You can tell those who are actually dwelling in the house of the Lord by what's coming off of their mouth. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like if praise is coming off of my mouth, I've probably met with God. If complaints and disarray and all types of disgruntledness is coming off of my house, off of my lips, I probably haven't met with God recently. Isn't that true? But when I go to his altars, I'm filled with the fullness of joy. And so praise comes off of my lips. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying strengthening you. He says, verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is not in themselves, but in you. Eventually, young people, you're going to have to get to the point where you stop trying to live on your own strength. You reach the limits of yourself, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. God says, I want you to reach the limits of yourself and how you're able to function at work and in your home life with your children and with your spouse. Running up against the wall, good. That means that you're at the end of yourself and you need to find your strength in God. He's saying, I want you to find your strength in me in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Where? The highway to worship. The highway to the temple. Why do we show up at church Sunday after Sunday? To get recharged. To refocus, to recalibrate. The highway to Zion. To once again to say his word is my focus, his mission is mine, and I'm giving myself to everything that concerns him. They go from strength to strength, right? Even during times of transition in your life. Is anybody going through transition right now? Anybody been through transition recently? God's desire for you is that you wouldn't go from one strength to a place of weakness, but that in him, cultivating a heart of worship, you go from strength to strength. Strength to strength. He's the God who takes you from glory to glory, is what he says. I'm the God who's glorious. I'm the God who's magnificent. I'm the God of increase. Is he not? Whenever God blessed his people, it was unto increase. Increase and depth in your life. There is no demilitarized zone in our walk with God. He said, you're either gathering with me or you're scattering. You're either for me or you're against me, right? We're either moving forward in him or unfortunately we're moving backwards. Has anybody seen that before? Anybody ever asked a friend how they're doing in God and their walk with God? And they're like, you know, I'm chilling. Oh, really? Chilling. (laughs) Chilling like a villain. Whoops. You know, it's like, yes. Yes, because if you're not pressing into God, something else is going to get a hold of you. Because we're made for worship. Our hearts are vacuums that are going to be filled with something. Either it's going to be filled with God was going to be filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. And he says, I want to take you from strength to strength, cultivating a heart of worship as you sit. This is why it was important that the Israelites even gather together. And I mentioned this uh, last week, but I was doing it off the cuff, and um, I, I misquoted it, but it's Psalm 87, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> he says, on the holy mount stands the city he founded, meaning God. Jerusalem was on a hill. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, the place of meeting and worship and recalibrating, you know, as we give our affection to him, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of of you are spoken, O city of God. 
Selah. What does that mean? He loves the gates of Zion, meaning the place of the temple worship, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. There is no private spirituality. There is no podcast Christianity. There is literally a place where he says, I want my people together and there they'll find strength in me. There they'll find strength in me and in that strength you go out and do my will. More than all the dwellings of Jacob. What were the dwellings of Jacob? My house, your house, the individual place, right? I love the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. That's God. He says, I like family reunions better than just changing diapers all day. No, but this is the point is what he's saying. You get the point. Strength to strength. Time spent with God is returned with strength of spirit, soul, mind, and body. We find this um, while alone with God, but most especially in the gathered worship of the saints. And then what else? How do we cultivate our heart um, for God as we come together? We supplicate. We supplicate. And supplication is basically a word that's been used throughout Scripture. It means laying your request before him. You supplicate. You make your request known to your heavenly Father who cares for you. Who cares for you? Verse 8, he said that very practically and specifically. He said, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. And then he goes on to say, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, meaning the one who's smeared with the oil, set apart for his purposes with the Holy Spirit, representing that. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Why were they able to say that? Because they supplicated and God heard their prayers. We laid requests before God and the encouragement that we have to come back to him is that he's a God who actually answers prayers. That's good news, right? I don't know about you, but I don't like wasting time. Anybody like wasting time in here? Anybody despise wasting time? I despise wasting time. And let me tell you what the biggest, the, um, um, I'm sorry, the, um, the biggest thing that provides me encouragement is that when I pray, I actually see answers to the prayers I pray. When I pray in faith, isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, I'm the true vine and you're the branches. Remain in me and if you, I rem if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted you by the Father. Why? Because it's to my glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Part of how I cultivate a heart of worship is I actually go to him, ask for things, and God answers. God answers when I need him to move in my own mental or emotional state. He answers. When I need him to move relationally, he answers. When I need him to move provisionally, he answers. When I need him to move in the city, we've seen it over and over again. He answers. God answers prayers as we supplicate, as we go to him and cultivate that heart of worship. But to do it, it's not just knowing that prayer is good. It's actually praying. Right? It's actually praying, not just being hearers of the word, but doing it. Not just agreeing that God's an answerer of prayers, but actually praying. And it doesn't have to be long or loud or, you know, <clears throat> or anything like that. It's just at least acknowledging that you're dependent on him. And he says, acknowledge me in all your ways and I'll make your path straight. Supplicate. And I'll cultivate your heart of worship. But finally, number seven, you stay. <laughs> stay. Stay in that place. Stay in that place. 
Whenever we're talking about cultivating a heart of worship, he says, starting in verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is your dwelling place. That means the place where you live, not frequent. I frequent my friend's house, right? I go over to my friend's house. I frequent my favorite restaurant. Anybody have a restaurant they like to frequent? Chick-fil-A. Okay, good. <laughs> That's right. Good, good holy chicken. All right, so this is the thing. That's right. It's like you frequent the places you enjoy, but the dwelling place is the domain where you live. It is not the place you visit. John Piper, great theologian, actually said it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You want God to bring glory through your life? Be satisfied in him. You know when your marriage is going to be good? When you're not looking to someone outside of your spouse to fulfill all the desires that you have raging in you. Your marriage is going to be a glorious thing when you're satisfied with the one he's given you. In the same way, he's like, look to me. Be satisfied in me. And I'll be most glorified there. Amen? These are the ways that you cultivate a heart of worship. But in cultivating a heart of worship, we've got to know what, what, what is it that we end with? What are the results? What are the results? We know the elements. We know how to cultivate it, but what are the results? And I love how we were at the conference and they reiterated over and over and over, and over again that hope and joy. Hope and joy. Hope and joy are the results of cultivating this heart of worship in every area of your life. Hope and joy. Romans 14, 17 through 19, when Paul was even preaching about the kingdom of God, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, right? Just about the rules, but of righteousness, a righteousness that comes from Jesus alone, his cross, taking the punishment for our sin and shame, and his blood poured out to cover us in his perfect life, his perfect record. He says, as you repent and put your faith in me, that righteousness is yours. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace. God Almighty, do we not need peace nowadays? Tranquility of mind and soul. He says, righteousness, peace. And that's, let me tell you something about peace. That's for high achievers too. It's not just talking about for people who are desperate and like financial or material need. It's for those who think that they're on top of the world but are tormented in their soul and mind. That's what we see all around us in this city. Is it not? The kingdom of God he's calling them to is about righteousness, peace, and then finally, joy. Joy. That's right. You can be happy as a Christian. Yes. People are like, a lot of times like, we're Praise you, God, because <laughs> I got to. You know, it's like, what? It's joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? That when you're actually meeting with God, not just talking about God, there's joy that's released to you, peace that's released to you. And we look forward to it, right? 
These are practical and tangible things. The hope that he offers us. Why? Because Jesus is the hero of all of our stories. When we look to him, we're going to beyond our own abilities, beyond our own failings, and we're saying, Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're king. And I have a joy in my salvation that I need to be renewed daily as I worship you. What does that joy include? I'm just going to list some things and then we're done. The joy of our salvation, what does it include? The cross of Jesus, the Father's forgiveness of sins, freedom from guilt and condemnation. Anybody thankful for that? Okay, well, some of you haven't lived that. I am. It's like I am thankful for freedom from guilt and condemnation. I know where I've been. And I thank you for the cross of Jesus. And let me say this, Christian. Since I've been a Christian, I'm thankful for his forgiveness. Hello? Not just the ways that I lived before, but since I've been a Christian, I could go back to that cross and say, cleanse me, Father, by your everlasting blood, right? I'm thankful. That's the joy we have in our salvation. What else? Freedom from destructive patterns. Destructive patterns that might have ruined your family and family line. He says, I'm going to break curses in your life. He says, what is the joy of our salvation? The Holy Spirit and his fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such things, there is no law. We should be happy about that. The promises of God's word. He gives us promises and says, this is the life I have for you. I want to give you the most delightful inheritance of any nation. Because you're my kids. That's what God the Father says. I have this heart and disposition towards you. A life of purpose and answered prayers, as we already mentioned. Christ's resurrection, followed by ours. Yes, we're all going to die. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. And guess what? We will be too. Okay, listen. Some of you are like, well, I'm tired about this life. Well, it gets better. It gets better. Resurrection unto the newness of life, right? Family provided by our Heavenly Father. He said he sets the lonely in families. This spirit that's over this city, it's so populated, but people are driven into isolation and loneliness. And God's like, I take the lonely and set them in family that will love them, care for them, build them up so you're not living alone or despondent. That's part of the promise. That's part of the joy, the hope of our salvation. Healing and a glorified body. Healing in my heart, my mind, my soul. And if not in this present life, in the life to come. Why? Because that glorified body will be mine. Right? No matter how, how long or how hard you work out. If you stop, it will all come to ruin. That's the unfortunate reality. Until we've got that glorified body. And in that glorified body, it's all over. It's just, hallelujah, Jesus, your king. Okay, so (laughs) the rewards, what else is our joy? The rewards of heaven, ruling and reigning with Christ, eternal life, and most especially unbroken fellowship with the risen Lord as in a return to the utopic Garden of Eden where mind, body, and soul were in proper order and health in the presence of the benevolent creator. This is the sozos, which is the word for salvation in Greek. 
the salvation, rescue, deliverance, and restoration of God where he once again makes all things new. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we love and serve, that we don't have to just meet with on a Sunday or once in our life, but always, continually, as we cultivate a heart of worship to him. And I think C.S. Lewis said it best when he said, basically, comparing us to a house that God's building. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That is a life of worship. That is the result of worship, including all the elements and the desire of God. So as we go back into singing songs of worship today, let's cultivate those altars. Let's cultivate those altars of worship to God that we cannot just have in this moment, but take out with us that we might really enjoy the salvation he's provided for us through his cross in Jesus' name. Amen.